What is this brief mortal life? If not the pursuit of legacy. History does not remember blood. It remembers names. It was all bangers all the time. All bangers all the time. Heavy hits, hard man. I'm so glad I chose that for the intro music. Yo, seven blessings and welcome back to All Bangers. Otherwise known as ABP, our thing. All Bangers, all the time, baby. I am your host, Sir Vizzy, here to cover episode seven of HBO's Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. And look, I'm gonna bury the weed on what I thought about the episode. Uh, because a lot of things went down this episode. A funeral, incest, kid-on-kid -kid violence. We get aim in one eye. More prophecies from Helena, blacks versus greens, a fake murder, a wedding. So without wasting any time, let's dive in. House of the Dragon, season one, episode seven, titled Drift, Mark, written by Kevin Lau, directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Here's the description. As the families gather on Drift, Mark, for your funeral, Viserys calls for an end to infighting and Allison demands justice. So we do open on Drift, Mark with the funeral of Lena Valarion. There's this gorgeous shot of the sun peeking through the clouds and shining down on the rocks and the water. This is one of my favorite shots of the episode. It looks like Lena's casket is a hybrid of stone and driftwood. The face is carved of driftwood, and it's inlaid in the stone. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, this is the first time the Valerions actually speak High Valerian, and... This entire funeral procession, it felt like one of those rich people funerals where everybody shows up in their Rolls Royces, just like decked out in like Balmain like, or like Louis V and just all those designer types of uh, like, uh, not tuxedos, but like suits and, and dresses, right? Like top hats, like, like a succession, like funeral or wedding, right? If you've seen, if you watch succession, but I mean, you have people on Driftmark here, just like parking their dragons on the hill. <laughs> so speaking of speaking of dragons, you know, we see four in this opening scene. I think we see Sea Smoke. I think we see Sunfire, Cyrax, and Caraxes. Uh, we see Vagar later on. It, it, it could be Dreamfire there. I think we see Dreamfire at the end of the episode because we have Vagar, we have Sunfire, and there's a third dragon that flies back to King's Landing. I'd assume that's uh, I actually I assume that's Dreamfire because I don't know any other dragon other than Dreamfire. In the book, they mentioned that Lena's funeral felt like Old Valeria with all the dragons showing up to show their respect. So all the dragons on the hill. It did feel this is the most dragons we've ever seen on screen at any given point in this universe. It's a really cool. But through the scene, we learned that the Valerians had their own funeral rites. Targaryens burned their dead. Valerians dropped their dead in the sea. And Vaemon is giving what at first appears to be a really nice speech, but he just goes off script and uses the opportunity to take shots at a bunch of people. Damon, Rhaenyra, Luke, Jace. We see Otto and his stupid fucking pin. The rest of the Hightowers are here. Only reason I think House Hightower is there is because Otto is back being hand. I mentioned in episode one that Corliss and Otto, they hate each other. So there's a rift between House Hightower and House Valerian due to the fact that the Valerians like unseated the high towers as the most wealthiest 
uh, family in the in, in Westeros, and so they're more powerful than the High Towers now. But uh, Veyman, he's clearly singling out people here in his speech, right? He's looking right at them on specific line drops. Everyone notices what he's doing. Viserys is looking at Rhaenyra when Veyman's like, the Valyrian blood is of salt. It runs pure. It runs true. It's thick. It must never thin. So Viserys knows what's up too. Rhaenyra, she knows what's going on. She grabs Luke and Jace. Like, Veyman, this dude really showed up and he chose violence. Obviously taking shots at Rhaenyra, taking shots at the kids. Because remember, now that Lane is dead and Lainor is King Consort, if Jace and Luke are denounced, that means Driftmark passes to Veyman. The girls can't inherit Driftmark because they're they're to be married off. So this is all in his self-interest. We get uh, Damon. He's had enough of this bullshit. He can't help but giggle. He's like, really, dude? My wife's funeral and you're really taking shots at these kids? But I think this is a really human response to sort of like laugh under your breath during situations like this. Like maybe you've been at a wedding or a funeral or even like uh, like a dinner speech and you have people just giving up speech about a particular somebody who you know is not who they <laughs> who they're claiming to be in their speech. But with regards to Vaymond, uh, he's speaking High Valerian, and I don't know if Allison's children understand High Valerian at this point. I mean, I don't think Aegon cares to learn it. He's bored by everything, right? He's yawning at the at the procession. Aemon's he seems to be like an overachiever, and I'd assume he would want to learn High Valerian beyond just Dragon commands. But even Jace. Uh, Jason Luke don't know High Valerian yet either because in the Dragon Pit they had a translator translate to the common tongue when Jace was commanding Vermax so looking back you know that's the show telling us that the kids don't know High Valerian fluently just yet Uh, we see Laris standing behind Corliss which I thought was an interesting placement for that shot we learn in the next scene that it's really only been a month since Lena and Harwin and Lionel's death. So I wonder if I wonder if Laris visited Harrenhal in that time to bury his brother and father. Had to, right? Like to avoid any suspicion. But thinking ahead, I mean, Jace is talking to Rhaenyra and saying we should be at Harrenhal uh, honoring Sir Lionel and Sir Harwin, grandfather and, and father. So I don't know if they've been buried yet, but if they haven't been buried yet, it's very interesting that Laris is there for Elena and not his family. But it cuts away from Damon to Jace, uh, from from Damon laughing, and it cuts over to Jace. And Jace is, Jace is grieving in his own right. He knows his father is Harwin Strong. He knows his father's dead. This is the first time Jace is l- learning what grief is. Look, as a kid, you're thinking, okay, this is strange, right? My dad just died. And I'm internalizing my grief because I can't show it or else people can easily say that I'm a bastard and that would put me, my brother, and my mother all in danger. But here, Damon is, and he's laughing. He's like looking at Damon. He's like, dude, like he's laughing at his wife's funeral. Like what's what's going on, on with that? So that's something Jace probably doesn't understand yet. Still learning what grief is. It was real quick, the cut between 
Damon laughing and Jace looking up at him. But I think that's, I think that signals what's possibly to come in the, in the episodes. Uh, we might see a conversation between Jace and Damon where Jace asks him what all of that was about. And maybe we even see Damon open up to Jace more than anybody else in the show. But they drop the casket into the water and we see all the other caskets laying at the bottom of the ocean. It was like the underwater version of the Crypts of Winterfell. And it's really interesting to me that the Valerians sort of honor the sea instead of honoring fire. I mean, we get a lot of talk of the sea and fire this episode. And the Valerians now, their family, I mean, their family originates from old Valeria. But they really have this sort of ironborn connection to the sea. If you think about the ironborn and the iron islands, the idea that you come from the sea and you return to the sea. And at this point in history, they've amassed such wealth and such prosperity through the sea. They don't consider themselves children of fire anymore. And Corliss has a lot to do with that, as you've learned throughout this podcast. But we cut to the little gathering after. It's called the repast. Um, and everything's just awkward as fuck. Rhaenyra walks in. She sees Damon. They lock eyes. Damon looks away. He's sort of like smirking. It pans over to Allison. She gives this like hilarious look at Rhaenyra. Like, how is this bitch here right now? Because we have to remember, off screen, Rhaenyra and Lenor, they've been living at Dragonstone for the past month. So the entire court is like, I can't believe she had the nerve to show up after abandoning her post. She really does think she can do anything she wants, right? But again, as long as Viserys is alive, Rhaenyra can do whatever the fuck she wants, right? She's entitled and she's safe. But she rushes over to Jace. He's alone in the corner and she's probably fearing that, oh shit, like my child is alone in a corner among everybody at court somebody might slip him something to kill him. That's what she's probably thinking right now, especially with Laris there. Although nobody but Allison knows just how dangerous Laris is at this point. But Laner's not there. He's not there by his son's side to protect him. Reyna uh, and Bayella, they're sitting on a bench in shock. Rhaenyra tells Jace, look, Go over to your cousins and comfort them. Jace is like, I have an equal claim to sympathy. No, I thought that was I thought that was really cute the way he said that. And again, it shows Jace is Jace is really grieving right now. He can't he can't express his emotions just like Damon. And yeah, he's like, We you know, we should all go to Harrenhal to see grandfather and father off. I, I feel bad for the kids, man. They're all caught, they're they're caught up in all of this. But yeah, Jace is in a position where he has to mourn his father in silence. And look, Renera seems to be handling it as well as any mother could in this position. But Renera and Allison, they lock eyes. Viserys looks over at Damon. There's just a lot going on in this opening scene. There's a there's not a lot of dialogue in this entire scene. But you don't need it. You're just you're analyzing every look. You're trying to piece together what's going on. What are people thinking? What moves are being weighed inside of each character's head? It must have been really hard to write this scene, really hard to direct it, and really fucking hard to edit it together. But I think they did a really good job. 
But this part is the part where I really wanted to get to in the scene. So we have Dreamer Baby Helena. Uh, Aegon and Aemon, they're observing her. We learn through this exchange of dialogue between Aegon and Aemon that Aegon and Helena are to be married. They are betrothed right now. And you remember last episode where Rhaenyra at the court, she basically tells Alicent, look, we should join our houses again. Jace should marry uh, Helena, and that would make Helena queen. But in her back pocket, Alicent had this. She's going to marry Helena to Aegon anyways, so Helena can still be queen. He's like, oh, she's just fucking weird. But, I mean, they're making Aegon look like this bumbling idiot on purpose. He's not displaying any characteristics that would make him a good ruler. At worst, he's reminding you of Robert Baratheon at his worst. Remember, while while Ned uh, was ruling the kingdom, Robert was off fucking boars and hunting whores. Or was it the other way around, as Jamie so eloquently put? But he's really not going to make a good ruler, man, if he ever becomes one. But they're pushing him to the throne, right? The past two episodes Aegon's been on screen, they're not raising this kid to rule, man. Like, they're doing a horrible job with this kid. As a parent, look, you don't tell your kids to grow up. Okay, I have a real problem with parents who say that shit. Like, you're not supposed to tell your kids to grow up. You're supposed to show them what growing up looks like. And this is what Tywin attempts to do with Joffrey. And this is exi- this is what he does with Tommen. So Tommen was more receptive. And even as, like, in their own respect, like, screwed up, as Tyrion, Jamie, and Cersei were, respectively, I mean, like, they did grow up. And they played the game better than most people. So who did they get that from? They obviously got that from Tywin, observing Tywin all those years, learning from Tywin. So they learned what growing up looked like. But with Otto and Alicent, uh, and even Viserys, they don't pay attention to this kid until he fucks up. And when he fucks up, they just chastise him. I haven't seen a single scene where Alicent, Viserys, or Otto actually invests in this kid becoming king. There's no training. There's no teaching. He's not even the cupbearer at Viserys' court, even as a backup plan, right? You know, Renair is heir apparent, but Aegon is still the firstborn son of the king, so he, he could be a cupbearer and learn a thing or two at court. But they just leave him to his own devices. I mean, Viserys is, is too old, He's too unwell to, to really give a shit at this point. He drops all that uh, responsibility on Allison as the mother to teach their son to grow up and, and learn what it means to be king. But Allison and Otto, they don't do shit with him, man, because they, they plan on using him as a puppet when they rule, when Viserys dies. It's like, okay, Aegon, you're going to be the face of our campaign, but behind the scenes, we're going to run shit. Again, it's very, very Tywin, like how Tywin rules when Joff and Tommen are king. Like they're the face of the realm, but Tywin's really pulling the strings behind the scenes. Otto thinks he's a dipshit. Allison thinks he's an asshole. Aemon doesn't like him at all. Helena basically ignores him. And the only claim that he has to the throne, the only reason that they're pushing him forward is because of his birth order. Back to Helena. Uh, Eamon says he would do his duty with Helena. It's a possible seed there on what could potentially happen. I think if it does happen, I think Eamon and Helena happen uh, behind the scenes. Aegon doesn't know. 
and it's a way for uh, Amond to get back at at Aegon for all those years of basically bullying him. But it doesn't look like Helena has any interest in her brothers. Like she's void of any emotion, like Bran in season eight. And at this point, we know Helena is a little weird, right? She says a bunch of weird shit that we learn comes true later in this episode. But uh, you know, she's prophesizing here. She's playing with the spider in the seashells. She closes the seashell on the spider, and we immediately cut from the spider over to Laris. He's our spider in this story. He's the master of whispers. So uh, that can represent something that has to do with the Valerians trapping Laris. Uh, I'm not too sure about that. But um, she says, hand turns loom, spool of green, spool of black, dragons of flesh, weaving dragons of thread. And to me, this was a clear prophecy of the war to come and calling the banners to war. So spool of green, spool of black. Spool of green is the Hightower green. All right, the, the Hightower banners. Uh, spool of black is the Targaryen black, Targaryen banners. These can all, this can also symbolize the color of Rhaenyra, her dress, and Alicent's dress. Rhaenyra wears black, Alicent wears green. Um, and they basically start the war. The war is between them, and everybody falls. Uh, dragons of flesh, House Targaryen, the, the Targaryens themselves, weaving dragons of thread, the Targaryen sigil, on their banners. That's what that means. But um, yeah, it could have, it's a sort of like a double entendre because this can also allude to the end of dragons as well. So dragons of flesh weaving dragons of thread because after the dance of the dragons, there are no more dragons. So the only dragons left are going to be the ones of thread on the banners. And then, of course, the hand turns the loom. The hand is auto. He's turning the womb. He's he's behind all of this. He's making sure that all of this all of this happens. These are all of his designs and his devices. So we get Sir Kristen, uh, looking like an overprotective boyfriend here. Look, this this dude is he's obsessed with Allison now. I don't know if they're sleeping together, but if they're not, I think I would imagine it's probably going to go down soon, and we're definitely going to see it. I mean, look at them, man. Like he's he's he's. He's, uh, as they say, cunt-struck, right? Even though he hasn't, maybe he hasn't had it yet. I don't know. Again, we'll, we'll find out. But uh, I think they have been sleeping together. And I'll mention why in, in a few minutes. But he's like, Laris is staring at you unabashedly. And Alice says, oh my God, don't look, don't look. She says, that's the look of pride now that he's the Lord of Harrenhal. And that actor that, that plays Laris, he, he does creepy so well. But we got the Jace. He he makes it over to Bayella and Reyna. Uh, he doesn't know what to say, but Bayella just grabs his hand, and I thought this was really sweet of her. Again, if anybody if if everybody knows that Harwin Strong is Jace and Luke's father, I'd assume the girls probably know too, just because of the obvious rumors get around, people talk. Uh, I mean, the obvious he he doesn't have Targaryen or Valerian hair, right? So she grabs his hand, basically saying, "Look, we can mourn together." And I'm interested to see if we get a budding romance between these two moving forward. But we cut to Corliss. He goes over to my boy Luceris, homeboy Luke. And uh, I love this from Corliss, man. You know, he offers his grandson the seat at Driftmark. And this is essentially Corliss saying publicly in front of everybody, look, 
I don't care that you're not my blood. I'm claiming you as my own. Just, look, grandfather a year, right? We'll talk about this more in a few minutes, both with Corliss and Rainey's while they're talking by the hearth, but Luke is smart. He's like, I don't want it. Just like John. Runs in the family, right? Again, he's like, John's like great, 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 something. Uncle, grandfather, I don't know. But um, he's like, if I'm the ward of Driftmark, it means everyone's dead. And this was really sweet. This is a really uh, human, this is really like a real response that you would hear from a child, right? They can put two and two together. If, if I'm this, that means all my family is dead. It just goes to show how much Luke cares about his family. And obviously, uh, family is all you know at that point when you're small. And you can see how sad Corliss looks when he says this. He's like, he's like, man, like these fucking kids, man, they're, they're innocent. They didn't ask for this. And you can see how it weighs on him when uh, when, Luke, when Luke walks away. But Rainey's goes over to Rhaenyra. Or I'm sorry, uh, Raina uh, and Baella. She comforts them, but not before seeing Jace off. And you can see Jace, he turns around and he walks away a couple steps. He's ashamed because Rainey's doesn't accept him because he's not her true-born grandson. I mean, again... Kids, man, they're caught up in all of this. They didn't ask for this, and they don't deserve to be treated like this. But Amon comes over to Jace, and for a moment, it looks like he's, he wants to say sorry about your father, but he can't bring himself to say those words, which is interesting because later on, he calls him out for being bastards. But remember, at this point in the story, all the boys, they're still homies, right? Like, yeah, they at least Aegon and Amon, they know what, what's going on behind the scenes with, with Jace and Luke, but they're still cool with each other. And then it's not until, like, after Aemon claims Vagar, where, where shit goes down and the kids really divide. But uh, Aegon, cuts to Aegon, he's downing his cups, good for nothing. Look, at this point, man, I'm just starting to feel sorry for this kid. No guidance, no mentor. He's at the age where you need both. Viserys ain't doing shit as a dad. Alice ain't, ain't doing her job as a mother. And it's because, look, w when Viserys dies, right? Again, if Aegon challenges Rhaenyra and sits the throne, he doesn't know left from right. He can easily be controlled be manipulated by Alice and Otto. So uh, Rhaenyra, again, it goes back to Otto, the, the 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 hand that turns the loom. But Rhaenyra, she moves about the party. She's like stalking Damon like a hawk. She hasn't had her. She hasn't seen her uncle in like ten years. She's free to indulge herself. She wants that dick, right? At least for now. You know, after after what goes down later on in the episode, she'll need him for more than just that. She'll need him as you know, as a strong ally to strengthen her position. But we hear screams from the sky as Damon and Eamon look up to the sky. And as a book reader, you know, you love to see this. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. But Lanor, he's nowhere to be found uh, at the ceremony or the, the, the gathering after. But we see him standing in the sea. He's obviously grieving over Lena. Uh, he didn't get to say goodbye to his sister. Uh, she was the older one, so he was he was the younger brother. She, you know, she probably always took took care of him, looked after him, and um, you know, we get that awkward part of the scene where Corliss marches over to call Corey and says, "Look, go fetch your patron." And I thought this could have been cut out. Like it didn't really bear any significance here, so I don't, I'm wondering why they let that shit in. Um, didn't really make any sense to me. But Viserys, um, again, we're still in the opening scene here. Dude, I'm 25, I'm 26 minutes in to this episode. Wild. And we're still in the opening scene. 
don't know how long we're going to be here, but grab a coffee or something. But uh, Viserys, he hobbles over to Damon and tells him, your girls are the very image of their mother, a comfort and an anguish, as I well remember. And he tells him, look, the gods can be cruel. Damon, <laughs> Damon jests. He's like, they've been especially cruel to you. And that's just, that's just brothers being brothers. We've seen the relationship between Viserys and Damon at this point in a couple of scenes. So we know they go back and forth at each other, and it's all out of love. But uh, yeah, Rhaenyra is still over here. She's stalking them like a hawk. Uh, she's wondering what Viserys is talking to Damon about, what Damon's talking to Viserys about. Uh, Viserys, he invites Damon to come home. He's like, look, there's a place for you at my court. And uh, I don't know if you guys caught this, but Damon's like, I need... And he cuts himself off. But if you read his lips, he was about to form an R. So he was about to say Rhaenyra. Uh, and then he cuts himself off and he says nothing. And he just he just walks away. And uh, Viserys is like, brother. But Damon, he looks like he's on the verge of tears here. Like, he's probably having a really hard time with his emotions. Probably burying his grief. Just like Jace's. And he needs Rhaenyra to feel whole. But yeah, he walks away. Otto stops him and he says he's sorry for his loss. And Damon's like, no matter how fat a leech grows, it always wants for another meal. Just, uh, yeah, there's our there's our Otto and <laughs> Otto and Damon. Otto's probably thinking, look, I want you to suck me. Rhaenyra tells Jason Luke to go to bed. Viserys tells uh, Emma he's going to bed. Look, our, our boy is losing his marbles, right? Uh, Sir Harold Westering tells Sir Krispy Kreme uh, he has the night's watch after getting the night off from Viserys. And okay, this is this is where it does lead me to believe that he's sleeping with Allison because he just looks flat out fucking annoyed, right? Like he's probably gonna tap that ass tonight, but he now he has to stand watch. He acknowledges Sir Harold with Lord Commander, and he just looks off in the distance like he's about to fucking kill somebody. So I'm on the fence about them sleeping together now, but uh. This raises my suspicions and leans me to think that they're already sleeping. So if they do show it in a scene next episode or in the episode after, uh, it's probably going to feel familiar to them and new to us. Like So that would tell us that they've been doing this for some time. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, I mean, <laughs> Kristen's acting like, look, if you ever had plans to go out with somebody, to meet up with somebody, to, you know, have a good time, but you're forced to stay at a family party or some shit, and you're, you're just annoyed. You have to be there just to look good. Like, it's that type of energy. We cut to a, a shot of the moon, and, okay, I mean, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room. The fact that, you know, they shot in daylight, and they graded it and darkened it down to look like night. I didn't have a problem with it. I mean, at first, it was noticeable. It's like, okay, like, Look, we're obviously in the middle of the day, but, you know, five seconds, ten seconds later, I got used to it. I didn't really mind it at all. Like, I got a ton of DMs about this shit. Like, I think I'm the only one who didn't really have a problem with it. Like, sure, they, they shot during the day, and then they darkened it. You know who famously did this? Peter Jackson in the OG Ward of the Rings trilogy. Think of all the footage at Osgiliath at the end of uh, Two Towers and in... Uh, in uh, Return of the King, right? This isn't a new uh, tactic in filmmaking. But yeah, um, the people who did complain about this to me, who complained about it being dark, look, 
It's it's like telling me you've never been on a beach at night without telling me you've never been on a beach at night. Like we're in Westeros, man. We don't have artificial lighting. There's no street lights. There's no parking lights, uh, parking lot lights. Like there there's there's no city in the background. But I mean, look, completely understandable complaint. But dude, I live 30 minutes from the beach and shit's dark at night, even with modern day lighting sources behind you. So this is accurate. All right, this is this is what it would look like. I just think you know a couple of friends. It looked obvious, right? The they shot during the day. Like when Eamon, he looks up to the sky and he squints at the moon. Like nobody squints at the moon. It's obviously the sun, but it's a small thing. Didn't really bother me. Aegon, he's passed out on the steps. He's drunk, hungover, whatever. Otto kicks the shit out of him, grabs him, and says, "Get to bed." I'm not tired. Lanor stumbles back to bed, drunk. Carl follows him, probably to tuck him in and give him a tug, a tuck and tug. But uh, Amon sees Vagar fly, fly overhead above the clouds, and you can see the shadow of her behind the clouds, above the clouds, from the moonlight. He sneaks down to the beach. Again, what we said last week, this kid is restless. He, he's chaotic, and he desperately wants a dragon. So he's going to go after the biggest one. But, okay, whew. That's just the opening sequence, man. 30 minutes in. <laughs> There's a lot of shit going down in this opening sequence. But uh, yeah, again, it must have been really hard to write. Extremely hard to shoot. And yeah, just a nightmare to edit together. So I think they did a pretty good job with it. We cut to Rainies and Corlys in the uh, Driftwood, I guess, like throne room. I forget what you call it. Corlys, he's like, look. The strong boys, they're going to inherit Driftmark. And I think he's goaded for this. Grandfather of the year. He's basically saying, look, if my son, Lenor, accepts these children and they publicly bear my last name and my sigil, I will accept them as well. He's like, look, these are our grandkids. These are the kids he claims. And if he claims them, then we should claim him as well. They sh we should claim them as well. But Rainey's ain't having it. She says, look, our girls... Reyna and Bela, they're not going to inherit anything because of two kids that aren't Lanors. I mean, maybe she'll come to love them and accept them in time, but think back to Catelyn and John. Catelyn could never love and accept John. And John was like, what, 17, 21 at that point? Something like that. But she says, they're our daughter's children, and Driftmark is their birthright. So she's obviously upset. She ain't wrong. I mean, she's upset because she didn't get a chance to say goodbye to her only daughter, right? She says, Lena needed our maesters. But honestly, bro, if it was on me, I wouldn't trust the maesters over the associate surgeons. Not one bit. The only maester I would ever trust would be Maester Wuin at Winterfell. Ned and Kat's maester. He was, he was, he was fucking cool. But, yeah, we get dr Corlys dropping bars here. What is this brief mortal life? If not the pursuit of legacy. But Rhaenys is like, I don't care about legacy, man. Like, if I cared about legacy, I would have pressed my claim back at the Great Council of 101. So Corlys is like, you would, ca you would have me cast an even bigger shadow over these boys than there already is. She's like, we both know that they're not ours. And you can see, yeah, this does bother him. 
even to acknowledge it, it bothers him. So he he holds it down, right? He internalizes it. It's like a black. It's like a team black thing, man. Everybody's internalizing something. Damon's internalizing Lena's death. Rainey's, uh, Rainey's, yeah, I mean Rainey's, uh, not Rainey's. Uh, Rhaenyra is internalizing Harwin's death. Uh, Jace is internalizing his father's death. So there's a lot of internalizing and, and bottling up emotions with, with Team Black. So I think that's interesting. But Corlys drops another bar. History does not remember blood. It remembers names. And this is facts. Straight facts from our boy Corlys here. Uh, now here's the scene everybody is basically complaining about. Damon and Rhaenyra, they're walking and they're talking on the beach. Again, all I'll say about this, the, the darkness situation here is, you know how people say, just go outside and touch some grass? Look, get outside, hit the beach, fam. Like, walk, walk a beach at night. Under the moonlight, bring your partner. It's dark as shit on a beach at night. But she talks about how she's made an effort to maintain appearances, how Harwin's dead. This was our confirmation that he was, he is, in fact, dead. I was hoping he'd be alive, but uh, I guess not. Her and Lenor, they try to conceive. And this is different in the books, where nobody thinks they ever had sex or that they even tried to have kids. She says it felt good to be desired. But I think she's just saying this because she's with Damon now. She's with her uncle. She's been in love with she's, since she was a kid. They almost fucked before. So she's probably th speaking to the fact that one time Damon did desire her. And it made her feel good. So I think that's that's why she, she drops this. It felt good to be desired line. But with Harwin, I don't think their relationship was based on desire at all. I think it was clear from the last episode that her and Harwin, they had an emotional connection that went beyond just being desired. And it kind of broke her heart when Harwin had to leave her and the boys. And again, that's the grief that she now has to bottle up and internalize as well. So we see a common theme here, again, with the Blacks, Damon, Rhaenyra, Jace, even Corliss, right? They're internalizing their their grief. She says to Damon, you abandoned me. He kind of snaps at her like, yeah, what do you think my life looked like without you? He says he and Lena were happy enough. He says, look, you were a child. And at this point, he's just trying to cover up the fact that he did, he was in love with her. Because it, again, it would have been weird, right? He was in love with a child at that point. But he, remember, he formally told Viserys that he wanted her. So that was said in confidence at least. But even here with her, he's, he's still trying to protect himself and, and protect the fact that, look, I did love you even when you were a child. But she moves into him to kiss him and he hesitates at first, but then they go for it and she says, I want you. And they go over the overturned boat to couple. And... Compared to the sex scene with Sir Kristen and Young Rhaenyra, this one was weak as fuck, man. Like, I, I didn't have a problem with the darkness again, but Rhaenyra's been wanting Damon for that entire time. And since she's been wanting him so bad for so long, you think she'd just rip his fucking clothes off and ride him to hell? I think this was weak. I think we could have gone without seeing it. Yeah, incest, but look, the two of them, they're still pretty hot together. Yeah, one thing, or I guess I should say two things that I thought were interesting. For a brief moment, I thought Damon had great skill, but it just turns out that the arrow, uh, that that the burn is from the arrow in the shoulder from fighting in the sep zones. Plus, it's on the other side of the body. Like when he came out holding the crab feeder, he was holding the crab feeder with his left hand, 
but the burn is on his right shoulder. So it wouldn't have spread like that, that fast. Um, actually, you know what? It's been like a decade. It takes a long time for grayscale to develop. So it could have, it could have maybe moved over to that side of the body. But regardless, uh, I think the sexual chemistry between Millie and Matt was far better. But to be fair, this is only one episode in, and I'm going to give Matt and, uh, and Emma, the opportunity to prove to me that they have insane sexual chemistry. But I don't know where this this scene was on the in, in production. I don't know if it was like the first week of shooting. Could have been the last week of shooting. I don't know. But uh, with Matt and Millie, their chemistry just dripped off the screen. But the other thing I noticed uh, was the shot where she was laying there just taking it from Damon. It reminded me of how Allison lay there while Mangled Viserys just stroked. But this was an obvious parallel, at least with how it was shot. But I can interpret this in two ways. One, she's just laying there in her head thinking, holy shit, I've been waiting for this moment in my entire life. Or two, she could be laying there thinking in her head, holy shit, I've been waiting this, for this moment my entire life. And this reminds me more of Lenor than Hartwin. Like, just disappointed. Look, we've seen Damon's stroke game when he was hitting it from the back when he's with Masaria in the whorehouse. Pretty mechanical, right? No rhythm. No rhythm whatsoever. So that could have been what was going on in her head too. I think I think it would be very interesting if that were the case moving forward, how she desired him her whole life, only to find out that he was just terrible in bed. Like, this is the man she idolized. And she's... Like, yeah, this isn't what I imagined it would be like. While Rhaenyra is getting dicked, Aemon's on the beach as well. He's looking for Vagar. This whole scene was dope, but I couldn't help but see Tom Riddle <laughs> on that fisheye shot of him. Wind blowing in the breeze, right? Hand out, commanding Vagar like he's a wizard. Felt very Harry Potter just by the wig and how it was shot. Hella Slytherin vibes. Somebody tossed a Harry Potter theme over that shot for me and sent it to me in the DMs. I bet it would fit. But I thought it was dope how the ropes on Vagar were like the ropes you would find on the side of a ship to climb up a ship. Uh, it's probably my favorite scene in the episode. Actually, you know, I, I take that back. It's my, probably my second favorite scene in the episode. Aim on a Vagar. And then the first scene would be what happens in the Driftmark throne room. But yeah, they made they made aim on more likable in the scene, which makes you feel conflicted about him in the following scenes. So they did a really good job at setting that up because up to this entire point, he's been bullied. You've been rooting for this dude to get a dragon. He gets a dragon. You're like, fuck yeah. And then he turns on a dime and we'll talk about that in a second. But Vega's like, oh, you like, okay, little boy, you want to ride this? You, you want to get on this? Like, let's go. Because look, dragons, they want to be ridden. Dragons, they want to burn shit. They just don't want to sleep their entire lives. They want to be fucking dragons. And I think the reason that we didn't see Lena claim Vagar when she was 15 was so that we could see Aemon claim her at Driftmark. It just makes more sense. It works better here because it leads to the eye for an eye scene, which basically draws the battle lines between the greens and the blacks. The reason Vagar is sleeping on the beach here is because we see her landing later on, like on the castle. <laughs> she doesn't exactly land with greys, right? She's too old. She's too big. She lost a lot of her coordination. So our, our, our Granny Vagar, she needs a soft landing zone. 
So that's why she's on the beach here, just snuggled up, sleeping. Uh, she's probably grieving as well, right? She just she wants to be away from everybody, because Wayna died, right? That was her dragon rider. Vagar could have flown anywhere in the world, but she chose to fly to Driftmark for Wayna's funeral. So I think, I think for sure she's grieving. She just lost her rider. In fact, she had a burn, Wayna. At Lena's command, she probably didn't want to do it. I mean, she hesitated. We saw that. So she's probably feeling guilty, right? Yes, dragons have feelings, of course, because they bond with their riders. So Danny Vagar, look, old Nan, she's grieving. She's, she's sad right now, right? Sad Vagar. And remember, Vagar is one of the OG three heads of the dragon from Aegon's Conquest. There was Balerion, there was Meraxes, and Vagar. And she's the only one left. All my friends are dead. Push me to the edge. All my friends are dead. So it's like being an OG dude on a team and you're the only one left from the years you your team won the championships. Right? You're the only one left on the team. You're the oldest. And you can't connect to the young dudes. That's Vagar right now. Now she's a free agent and Amon wants to claim her, which is kind of a big deal. That's what we'll talk about. Uh, he commands her with Doharis, which means serve. That was actually horrible. Holy shit. Doharis. I can't, I can't say that shit. I can roll my R's, but I can't say that. Uh, and he says, Akiri. Hold on. Let me, let me get this right. This is going to bug me. Akiri. Oh, I, can't, I can't do it. Fuck it. I can't do it. Somebody's going to clip that out and make fun of me. But uh, Akiri means to, be, to, means to obey. Uh, he climbs up the ropes, and Vagar's like, all right. She hits the runway, and she's going to test him. So this is the first time we've ever seen what it takes to claim a dragon. And I loved everything about this. And when Vagar evens out after her, her dive bomb and Danny's theme kicks in, I got chills. I definitely got chills. I always get chills when that song comes on. And I think this is the coolest and most accurate, as I would assume, portrayal of what it would feel like to ride a dragon. I thought I thought John riding Rhaegal for the first time was pretty dope, especially with the scenery. We get the rolling hills of uh of the north around winterfell it actually felt <laughs> it felt very much like looking in the snowflake in the grinch right all the rolling hills of whoville it felt very very whoville but it was beautiful regardless but this this scene with with Amon and vagar it felt authentic to what i would assume it would feel like again vagar is like a fucking 747 without the aerodynamics and we get this sixth shot probably like my second or third favorite shot of the episode where vagar flies in front of the moon it's a nod of book readers uh with a specific story that i do not want to mention um danny's Dr dance of dragons theme swells up again just a really beautiful scene really kick-ass scene it really makes you like holy sh like let's fucking go like like, let's go, Eamon. But we see what goes down. Uh, he lands, you know, Vagar. And, you know, or I, I guess, like, before that, Bael, she wakes Jace up, right? She says, somebody somebody stole Vagar. Rhaenyra wakes up. She walks out to Damon on the beach. This was dope. This was dope. Because they're both looking up at Vagar, and Rhaenyra asks, who is it? And again, man, like for book readers, it's the small things like this that is so fulfilling. Seeing Damon look up at his dead wife's dragging, wondering who claimed it, and we know that it's Aemon. And yeah, I mean, that, again, 
all I'll say. Uh, but yeah, this is important because Vagar is the biggest dragon. So Rhaenyra's like, who claimed, like, who is it? Right? If they don't have, if the Blacks don't have Vagar, they are at a huge disadvantage because Vagar can take on like three, four dragons all at once. That's how big she is. She's like the Bill Russell of dragons. She's like the center that you need to win a championship. But if, uh, you know, if, if a Valerian claims Vagar, it's a short war. But the fact that Aemon claimed her, it's big trouble. Big, big fucking trouble for the Blacks. And the again, the, the juxtaposition between Damon and Aemon this entire episode is so subtle and so well done. Because as you'll see next episode, Aemon, he's basically the, the Damon of the Greens. He's like a younger, more twisted version of Damon. And again, that is fucking bad news for the Blacks. Really evens the, the playing field. But uh, Eamon walks up to the castle. He's met by Reyna, Bayella, Jason, Luke. And Reyna says, uh, Vagar is my mother's dragon, and she was mine to claim. And Eamon's like, your mother's dead. Uh, Vagar has a new rider now. And look, man, you don't inherit a dragon. It's not like how you inherit a castle or, or a, you know, a throne. Like, you don't inherit a dragon by birthright. You still have to claim one. So, in the case of Reyna and Vagar, Aemon stole the opportunity from her to, to claim Vagar, to claim her mother's dragon. Reyna's trying to mourn her mom. And we get Aemon, he, he snuck outside of the castle and stole Vagar. And, look, it, it is what it is. Like, she, like, Reyna has to build up the courage to claim Vagar, but she's going through some shit, right? So she probably had to build up the courage to, tra uh, to, to claim her. It's no easy task, especially when you're that young, that small, and you're trying to claim the biggest dragon. Obviously, she's going to be a little nervous, and obviously, she's mourning your mom. So she's not going to outright just claim her right away. But, on the other hand, Aemon, he's a Targaryen. He takes what he wants with fire and blood, literally, as we'll see right now in this scene. But... By right, Vagar is now his. They are bonded together. And until Aemon dies, Vagar is his. So now we see this like huge personality shift in Aemon once he claims Vagar. The king the the kid couldn't fucking swing a sword to save his life, had horrible footwork. Now the kid's on a power trip. And this is in keeping with the books where some dragon riders' personalities would amplify when they be when they become dragon riders almost instantaneously and it's also in keeping with the theme of the show right that power corrupts and that's what's going on right here with Eamon. this kid he's been feeling inferior his his whole life because everyone around him around him has dragons he was bullied for not having one he inherited the pink shred now he has the biggest dragon of all of them and now he's about to become an agent of chaos just like damon all that empathy he felt at the funeral for Jace, that's now gone. And he never treated Jace or Luke bad. But here, after he hops off of Vagar and he learns just what, you know, just what he's uh, possible of, oh, not possible of, he learns what he's capable of, he's defending his claim and he goes ballistic. He even says he, he'd feed them to his dragon. So the kids start to scrap. We get kid on kid violence. Look, 
this is exactly how I imagined it in the books. It did not disappoint. From page to screen, it was very well done. And the addition of the girls to the screen uh, adaptation was, it felt right. Because, look, they established Jace and Luke are cool with Amond. So the scene doesn't really work without the girls there and Jace defending the girls. And then when Amond clocks Jace, uh, Luke starts to defend Jace. So all of this doesn't work without the girls there. Amond shoves Reyna. Bela gets a clean shot in. Then he decks her. He dips around. Uh, and he punches Jace and shoves him down to the ground. He decks a little Luke. Luke screams. Jace shoves him to the ground. Or, I'm sorry. Um, then, then he shoves Jace to the ground again. And it looks like... Uh, or at least, I'm sorry, Eamon gets shoved to the ground. And uh, it looks like they're, they're kicking the shit out of him. Like they're beating him to death. And Eamon gets up. He grabs a little Luke by the throat. Picks up that rock. He's feeling himself. He's on a power high. It's 4v1. He ain't no little bitch. Eamon calls them bastards. Calls Jace, Lord Strong. Jace pulls the knife. He swings it. Again, Jace, Eamon gets gets the better of Jace this entire bout. Jace loses the knife. It's on the ground. Jace looks over to Luke, picking up the knife. He knows. He's like, oh, shit. Okay. My brother's got the knife now. He cheats with some dirt in the eye. Luke goes for the kill, but slashes the eye. That's the teamwork we like to see from our boys, from our strong boys, right? Jace with the with the clean assist. Oh, I said clean. I just said dirty. Uh, with the dirty assist. Um, and this is in fulfilling Helena's prophecy that Aemon would have to lose an eye to gain a dragon. And the fact that Luke is the one here to take his eye is very telling for what they plan to do in the future. But these little fake outs on what you think is, is going to happen, like this entire, this entire little scrap between the kids, right? Jace pulls the knife, Aemon go, uh, Aemon, you know, getting kicked into oblivion. Like you're thinking they're going to kill this fucking kid. And steal his dragon back, steal steal her dragon back, and then shit's gonna go down after that. Like you don't know what's about to happen. As a if you're not a book reader, you're not you, you don't know what's gonna happen. So they really did this really well, right? Eamon picks up the rock. You think he's gonna fucking bash bash little Luke's head in? Luke scoops up the knife, and now he's the one that lands the blow, the smallest, like weakest one there. Just great writing. But this scene was a direct parallel to the Arya. Joffrey Santa scene on the Trident because of what happens next with with Allison. So we cut to inside the Driftmark throne room. This is like a 10-minute scene. And apparently rent was due because Olivia Cook owned this scene. And she probably secured that Emmy nomination for sure. This is the moment the trailer is really built to, which is sick because we don't really know what's going to go down in the final three episodes. I do know that HBO wanted to start season one with episode eight. But Condal and Spotnik were like, no, we need this. We need we need this backstory. We need seven episodes of this backstory to get us there. So that's an interesting aside that you may have not known. Uh, Viserys, dude just looks tired as shit. Woken up in the middle of the night. He's probably been sleeping at this point for like six hours. He's like, who had the watch? Forgetting that, Sir, forgetting that Sir Harold gave it to Kristen right in front of him. Kristen says, "Look, the the young prince's cousins attacked him, Your Grace. We've never had to defend princes on princes." Viserys screams at him, "Like that ain't no that's no fucking answer. That's not an answer. That's not the one that I want." But you have to think, man. Like 
Kristen like really ain't wrong when when he says, "Look, when the prince of the air is fighting the son of the king, what do you even do at that point?" Like, I mean, obviously you break him up, but like, you can't really do anything beyond that. Allison's like, "It's just a scratch, Mesta, right? The eye will surely heal, right, Mesta?" Mesta's like, "Nope, eyes lost." Olivia Cook, she's so good here. This is the moment she she. The moment she learns that Eamon's going to lose an eye, she gets super emotional and she starts to lose her shit. Any mother would, right? They they want to protect their baby. And here we go. You know, Allison, she goes over to Aegon. She's chastising Aegon, right? Calls him a fool. The emotional abuse this kid must suffer, man. I swear. Like, she's she's laying all the responsibility on him, saying, look, where were you? I feel bad for the Aegon at this point, man. It is official. But yeah, Corlys and Rhaenys, they come down from their chambers. Rhaenyra barges in. She's followed by Damon. She calls for Jace and Luke and asks, who did this? Aemon's like, they attacked him. Jace says, he attacked by, uh, he attacked Reyna. And we get the kids shouting, as, as kids are wont to do. Uh, Viserys silences everyone. My sons are in line to inherit the Iron Throne, Your Grace. This is the highest of treasons. Prince Aemond must be sharply questioned so we might learn where he heard such slanders. And Allison's like, over an insult? Really? Really over an insult? Because look, she doesn't know if Aemond's going to rat on her, so she's trying to deflect right now. She's trying to deflect. She doesn't want to be ratted on. She doesn't want Aemond to be tortured by Rhaenyra. I don't think Rhaenyra would torture her half-brother just to, just to get the answer out of him. And Allison, she, she could have leaned in. She could have said, yeah, what insults? Tell us, Rhaenyra. But here she's trying to deflect. I mean, you can see the hypocrisy here from everybody. Rhaenyra, Alicent, Viserys. Alicent's like, where is Sir Lanor? I wonder what he has to say. Again, she's trying to divert away from Rhaenyra questioning Aemond and potentially being snitched on. She's trying to turn on Lanor, knowing full well the kids aren't his. She wants him to join them in the throne room. So she can question him and box him in with questions in front of the entire court and get him to spill. But where is Lenor? He's off living his best gay life with Carl. And I thought for a second, look, Rhaenyra, she probably would have got caught up in all of this because she didn't come in with Lenor. So you would assume they would come in together from bed, right? But she says she went for a walk. And Allison digs in and she says, yeah, he's probably gobbling Carl right now, right? That's basically basically what she says in the in subtext. But yeah, Aemon rats on Aegon to protect his mother. Viserys goes over to Aegon and says, okay, like, you little shit. Like, you're too dumb to come up with, up with this on your own. Where did you hear this? And he's like, we all know, father. Everyone knows. Just look at them. And the way he said this, it made me think he didn't really want to have to be the one to, to say it. Like, he probably still cares about Jason Luke. Like, he's not, he's not, again, Aegon's not out for power. He doesn't care about power. He doesn't care about ascending the throne. So he probably still cares about Jason Luke. Like, he was reluctant to put that out there. If it was, if it was Joffrey, he would have been like, Everyone knows. Just look at them. Like he would point at them. Look at them. That's Joffrey. That's what Joffrey would have done. Because Joffrey is power hungry. But Aegon isn't. And 
yeah, he was, Aegon was reluctant to put it out there. But when it's out there, this is when Viserys is like, look, we're a family. The infighting must cease. He's trying to deflect here. He's oblivious because he knows it's true. But as we said last week, to acknowledge the truth is to acknowledge treason. And when you acknowledge treason, you have to follow the laws of gods and man. And that means executing Rhaenyra, executing Jace, executing Luke, and probably executing Laenor. He'd be pressed to. I mean, his court, the entire, the entire court would, would press him to do that. But again, I think he would just banish them. Because, look, this, that would fuck up his legacy, right? The legacy he wants to lay down for the next 100 years for, for the Targaryens. But everybody here in this fucking room is fucking that up for him. <laughs> the people he wants to lay down the legacy for are fucking it up for him. Rhaenyra, right? He's like, make your apologies, show goodwill to one another. Your father, your grandsire, your king demands it. Now it's like, oh, I'm sick of this shit. She's like, it's, it's not enough. It's not enough, Viserys. Aemon's been damaged. Permanently, goodwill can't make him whole again. And this reminded me of Cersei, go, uh, going back to the Arya, Sansa, and, and Joffrey on the Trident. Uh, this reminded me of Cersei when Nymeria bit Joffrey's arm, and she says uh, he will carry that scar, he will car carry the wound for the rest of his life. And Cersei's like, "I demand you do something." Robin's like, "Get her a dog, Ned. She'll be happier for it." But Nymeria let uh, Arya let Nymeria go just to save her. And Cersei's like, right, they have another one. Where is that other beast? And she de she demands the lady to be executed in place of Nymeria. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what, what's going on here. Allison's out of pocket. She's like, there's a debt to be paid. And yeah, she, she fucking loses it. And she says, you know, she, she, she wants one of her son's eyes in, in return, right? I should have one of her son's eyes in return. And look, ain't no way Viserys is having one of his grandchildren's eyes cut out as punishment for his kids, for the kids roughhousing a little too hard. And Rhaenyra would never forgive him, right? He would never want, Viserys would never want to outright hurt his family. Not after what he did to Emma and how that's haunted him his entire life. If the king will not seek justice, the queen will. Sir Kristen. Bring me the eye of Lucerys Velaryon. Mother! Alicent. He can choose which eye to keep a privilege he did not grant my son. You will do no such thing. Stay your hand. No, you are sworn to me! And you can see Sir Harold here. He gives Kristen the side eye, realiz realizing in this moment, Kristen, a, a member of the King's Guard, has formed a bias against Rhaenyra, the heir apparent. He's formed a bias towards the queen, Alicent. And you cannot do this. You have to serve the entire. You you have to serve the king first, and you have and you're responsible for serving the heir as well. You're not responsible for for like protecting. You you have to protect the seat, so to speak. And Allison, she's not going to sit on that seat. So that that's that's a problem. And Sir Harold notices that. I think it's time when I think I, I think when it's time to choose sides, Harold goes with Rhaenyra. Because he was her sworn protector since she was a child before he became Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. And uh, he's when he chooses sides, he's going to choose Rhaenyra's. 
So I think we're going to have a Kingsguard on each side with Kristen Cole and Allison and Sir Harold Westerling with Rhaenyra. And I think that's going to be really dope because I ride for my man's Sir Harold. Uh, Viserys drops a line from the books where he says, anybody that questions the legitimacy of Rhaenyra or her sons should have their tongues removed. And Rhaenyra, at this point, she knows she's won. She, she, thank you, father. Right? She's like, all right, yeah. Let's wrap this bitch up. Gonna go back to bed. Or go back to the sand. <laughs> uh, she, uh, but Allison, we hold on her. Olivia Cook, again, rent was due. She's contemplating in her head about what she's about to do. And she lunges forward. She has to reach around Viserys' hip. Had to be hard. Hey, our boy's got a pop belly now. She grabs Cat's paw. And she makes her way towards Luke. So out of pocket, right? Like, what, do you th- what does she think she's going to accomplish here in front of everybody? What do you think she's going to do? This is treason in front of everybody, right? Whereas Rhaenyra is committing treason behind closed doors. Allison's committing treason in front of everybody. She shouldn't have got away with this. Viserys was well within his right to lock her up for, for this treason in front of the entire court. But Rhaenyra charges right at her, which I thought said a lot about Rhaenyra. Like, anybody comes at you with a knife, you're running backwards. But she's moving forwards. Goes to show how far a mother would go to protect her children. So Luke screams. Our boy, Sir Harold, he springs into action. He holds two guards back while Damon goes for Kristen. Harold says, Stand your hand, uh, stay your hand cold. Right? And Sir Harold, he needed to say that. He needed to have that on record. Because Kristen, Kristen goes berserk if he, he if he's not commanded by a superior. So yeah, it's it's like the ward commander of the King's Guard commanding his a pupil to obey and stand down. That needed to happen. That needed to be said. Otherwise, Kristen would go to I mean, Harold knows Sir Kristen at this point. He knows what he's capable of. I mean, Sir Kristen was in the in the yard. Sir Kristen was not. Uh, so, I'm sorry. Sir Harold was not only at Rhaenyra's wedding with Lenor, and he saw how Sir Kristen went berserk on Joffrey Longmouth, but Harold was also in the yard when he saw Kristen bait Harwin. You've gone too far. I. What have I done? But what was expected of me? Forever upholding the kingdom, the family, the law. Will you flout it all to do as you please? Alicent, let her go! Where is duty? Where is sacrifice? It's trampled under your pretty foot again. Release the blade, Alison. And now you take my son's fight. And to even that you feel entitled. Exhausting, wasn't it? Hiding beneath the cloak of your own righteousness. And here we have it. You know, the battle line is drawn right here. She slices Rhaenyra open. Allison drops a knife. She can't believe what she just did. Here was the girl who once always obeyed, never fought for, for what she wanted, Was at, has been at the mercy of men all her life. She's in shock. Amos stands up and says, Look, mother, it's all good. I lost an eye, but I gained a dragon. Mic drop. Again, Vagar is, is a dragon that could single-handedly win a war. Vagar's worth like 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 troops. So he's like, oh, little reminder. 
I, I gained a dragon. And when he says that again, again, he cuts to Damon. Otto smirks. He's like, yes, yes, we do have a dragon. Now, good, good, Anakin, good. Wrong universe. But that's the same vibe I get here from Otto. Like Palpatine vibes. Uh, he's like, you know, my daughter has shown me something I didn't think she had in her. We could actually win this thing with Viserys dying, Aemon claiming Vagar, Allison showing the court she's not to be crossed. We could, in fact, win this thing. And you get Kristen Cole and Aemon, <laughs> fucking Aemon, just leaning into his mother. Like, acting all tough, but like, leaning into his mother like a little bitch. Mama's boy. But Cole and Aemon, they're, stand they're standing by Allison. Viserys walks away, so he, he isn't a part of this. And you get Damon moving into, moving over to Rhaenyra. By her side, he's holding Luke. Jace is there, Rhaenyra. Corlys is behind Rhaenyra. Rhaenys and Baela and Rhaena are behind uh, Rhaenys. So, here we go. Team Blacks versus Team Greens. It's on. But, like, there's no reconciliation here. Like, th that's what Viserys wanted. Viserys pleaded for everybody to get along, to make goodwill, to say they're sorry. But there's no, there's no reconciliation here. And that just leads to further division. He just commands that this is over. Like, I'm going back to bed. But we cut to Allison and Otto. Allison's low-key embarrassed for what she just did. I think she's an honest, right? I, th I think she means it. I think she just, yeah, she just lost her shit. Now she, she came back down to earth and she realized what she did. Realizes what it can mean for her. But Otto comes in and she's like, you got guts, kid. I didn't think you had it. I didn't think you had it in you. Viserys is going to forgive you. It'll be fine. Go to him. Be penitent. And come time, you know, we will win this shit. That's basically what Otto's saying. Especially now that they have Vagar. And, uh, you know, the sun's up at this point. The maester's patching up Rhaenyra. Jason Luke are looking on. Remember what I said about Allison earlier telling Aegon to grow up instead of showing him what growing up looks like? Here we have Jason Luke. Uh, they're looking. They're seeing. They're, they, they're, they learned what growing up looks like. They're seeing firsthand, right in front of them, how strong their mother is, how she protects them. They're learning what it's like to lead, even though Rhaenyra is leading in sort of like all the wrong ways. That's interesting to think about, actually, now that I say it. But Laner barges in. Last time we saw this dude, he was in a drunken stupor, tripping over his feet to bed. So it's easy, it's easy to think that, you know, he got drunk and he slept through the night. And I love the scene with Rhaenyra and Laenor. I just love their relationship. He's lamenting his sister. She commands him to sit down. He, she's going to tell him the situation, what happened last night while he was sleeping. She tells him, look, I don't hate the way the gods made you. And again, we learned that they lay together a few times. He just couldn't pop the lid. But this conversation is important to establish the fact that they still do really care for each other because of what comes next, right? Laenor recommits himself. Sir Carl... We'll return to Stepstones, he says, but he's going to stay for her and raise their sons. And again, like Corliss, I love Lainor for this. One of the best characters, man. He's like, you deserve better than what I've been for you. You deserve a husband. Again, this scene is important. Because what happens next, as you're watching that scene unfold, when she's talking to Damon or looking to say, you're like, you're about to hate this bitch. Like, you thought she was really going to go with it. like, But 
Rhaenyra would never kill Waynor. Damon would never kill Waynor. They served like Damon and Waynor, they served together. They fought side by side. Waynor has Damon's respect. And they would never make an enemy out of the Valerians. We cut to Allison and Viserys in the Wheelhouse on the way to the ship. I thought she was gonna fucking smother them <laughs> here. He's like leaning back. He can't even sit up, right? Falling over. I thought I thought man was finished. But that would have been too obvious to everybody there. Uh, we got Corlys and Rainies. They're looking out over at the sea. The Targaryen ships sail away with Vagar joining the ship now since she's bound to Aemond. I think that's Sunfire and, again, possibly Dreamfire because Caraxes and Sea Smoke are black dragons. Um, we get uh, Laris. He approaches Allison on the ship. Laris is like, look, if you if it's not for if it's not you want to balance the scales, I am your servant. She's like, the day will come will surely come where I will need a friend as fucked up as you, <laughs> Sir, Sir Lyris. Thank you. I will not forget it. But Damon approaches Rhaenyra, overlooking the sea. A lot of talk about fire and the sea here, with the Targaryens owing everything to fire, and the Valerians knowing better that the sea is probably the better ally. Uh, and Rhaenyra says, fire is a prison. The sea offers escape, which is a wink-wink to what's about to go down. And, you know, like, next few minutes with Lanor, how Rhaenyra trapped him and he was basically trapped by fire, right, with Rhaenyra and how they're going to let him escape by the sea. So I thought that was really dope. Rhaenyra tells Damon she needs him. She can't face the Greens alone and she proposes to marry him just as Aegon the Conqueror did with his sisters. So if you don't know, Aegon the Conqueror, he married both his sisters. He married Visenya for duty and he married Rainey's for love. And I just realized that with Waynor being alive, Rhaenyra didn't marry Damon as a widow. She actually took a second husband. So just like Aegon the Conqueror, Rhaenyra has now married twice. She married for, once for duty with Waynor, and now she's marrying once for love with Damon. And you can you can see how happy she is with Damon at the at the wedding ceremony. But with Damon as her prince consort, so to speak, her claim wouldn't be so easily challenged, she says, because Damon projects strength, strength that the people don't think that Rhaenyra has. Again, at this point in the story, people are just, they just know Rhaenyra as fucking sloppy. We've always been meant to burn together. It's basically saying, look, if you love me and you want to help me protect the boy, my boys, throw down with me right now. And... Look, Damon says, we can't marry unless Lenor's dead. And this is when they they hatch the plan with Carl and Lenor to, to, to stage the murder of Lenor. And Rainier's like, I know. like, And you're like, fuck, I'm about to hate. And she's really about to kill Lenor. Like this dude, they, they just had a, a beautiful scene together where they connected. And now she's really about to kill Lenor. I think that I I've seen a lot of discourse online about this, but I think that here's where I stand on it. I think uh, I think Damon and Rhaenyra would have told Corlys and Rhaenys, right? Like Corlys and Rhaenys were in on it, because if Corlys and Rhaenys think Damon and Rhaenyra paid off Sir Carl to murder Laenor, if they essentially murdered Laenor, right? They would like. Corliss and Rainey's, they wouldn't be Team Black. So I think Damon told Corliss what was about to go down, told him the plan. 
then Corlys is probably G with it. Because look, he knows his son isn't going to further his legacy, right? He's not gonna he's not gonna shoot shoot out kids, right? He, he's incapable of conceiving at this point. And Rhaenyra's she's she's fertile as fuck, right? She's had three kids over the span of a decade. She's fertile, and he he can't even like get her pregnant. There's no way he's getting anybody else pregnant. So he knows he's not gonna further uh, Corlys's name. He knows he still has Reyna and Baela as pure blood Valerians. He has a backup plan in the boys, in Luke and Jace, because technically and publicly, they still have the Valerian name. So again, name, blood, he has options on how his legacy can play out. And his only son still gets to live and be free over in Essos. Now, I don't know if he told Rainey's. If he did, and she was in on it, uh, she sold that shit when she pulled that when they pulled that burnt body out of the fire, and she was probably she was screaming, right? She was probably channeling all her grief for Elena into that scream. But it makes sense that Corlys would be down because one, Lainor isn't going to further the line anyways, and two, because a fucking Hightower just stole his daughter's dragon and stole it away from his granddaughter. But for a split second there, you know, Rhaenyra's like, I know we'll have to kill him, right? And, and knowing how sloppy and how selfish she's been up to this point, up to this point, like you're you're already like, fuck this fucking bitch, bro. Like you're thinking she's gonna do it, and you at this point in the story, you you know Damon, he doesn't care about anybody other than himself. At least that's what we were shown, and he probably cares about Rhaenyra too, so he, he would probably go down with this plan as well. He'd probably execute Lanor himself if he had if he had to do it. So, they're fully selling us here on killing Lanor, and I think that's why it works so well. But uh, in the books, Lanor dies. Um, this does not happen in the books, so this is all different. This is all off script, and I really, really dig it because George R. R. Martin didn't write Fire and Blood with the truth in mind. It's more of like a choose-your-own-adventure. There's no truth, per se, on the page. It's all up for interpretation. So this is different from what happens in the books, and I, re- I really like it. But they fake us out with the scene between Damon and Carl right here. And if, you, if you've ever watched Thrones, you've always seen scenes between people trying to buy, buy off people, pay off people to, to murder or execute somebody else for them to do their dirty work, right? We, we know this happens in the Thrones universe. People can be bought off or, or paid off for lands and titles. So with that in mind, you're probably like, oh, fuck. But it turns out Damon's really just selling Carl on the life away, <laughs> away from all this bullshit with Lainor. Uh He said he wants a quick death, one with witnesses, because if there are witnesses to them fighting, it will always be known that Carl Corey assassinated Lainor Valerian. And, you know, the rumors from there will spread about them being together and how Lainor didn't want to go with him to the Stepstones and that triggered Carl to just fucking murder him because they had a huge fight, a huge blow up, blah, blah, blah. We cut to the inside the Driftmark throne room, going down the stairs. Damon snaps the neck of some guard, some some poor guard, <laughs> so they can use his body for for the burning and pass it off as Lanor's. You know, this was staged, of course, because no way does Lanor step to Carl the way he does in the throne room. He's like, "Why are you in my father's hall?" Carl's like, "You've always looked down on me." That there's no fucking that. When I when I saw that, it didn't make sense to me. And then I thought to myself, okay, 
what's really going on here? Because again, that did not make sense to me. That is not in keeping with Ryan Condal's writing. Bro, if Carl Corey was standing by the fire in, in Lenor's father's, like next to Lenor's father's hearth, like he would have been like, darling, like I told you for the third time, we cannot be in here. Back to bed. I'll be up in a minute. Be ready for me. We get this voiceover of Rhaenyra saying she loves Lenor and Damon's saying, okay, like you love Lenor, grant him this kindness and set him free. And it cuts back to the fighting. Like Carl really sells it with the punch. Like anybody can swing steel on steel and, and fake fight. Right? If you ever had like a fake sword fight when you were kids, it's like that. Anybody can do that. But the fact that he fucking clocks Lenor across the jaw, that I think that really sold it for the kid that was like, I'll, I'll go alert the guards. One second. But Rainies and Corleys, they come in, and I think they sell it too. At least I think they're selling it. I don't think there's any way that they don't know what happened. I don't think Rhaenyra... Yeah, I don't I don't think Rhaenyra and Damon would dis disrespect them like that in their own house. Think back to episode, what, one or two? When Corlys was sitting on the small council in, in King's Landing, and he was defending Rhaenyra when she would bring up decisions or, or, or possibilities that, that could uh, could be followed by Viserys, right? So he was like backing up her intelligence ever since she was at court, like pouring cups. And again, remember Corliss and Damon, they fought and bled together for years in the step zones. So I, it, it wouldn't make sense that they, that they did not know that this was all a plan. We cut to the black wedding. This is a great use of dragon glass here. I assume we're back on Dragonstone since you can only find dragon glass on Dragonstone. And I would imagine this is probably like a week later or maybe even a, even a few days later because Driftmark and, and Dragonstone, they're like, it's not, even a, it's not even a day's sail away. It's like probably a couple hours. But I love the color grading here. I love the costumes. These are the old garments probably kept from old Valeria. And it makes me want to do my Valeria series even more now. These garments were just fucking pure steez. But I love the ceremony again. Uh, Damon, remember, I said last episode, he is the most Valerian out of all the Targaryens. And, you know, they're they're here. They're, they're, they're the only ones that are speaking high Valerian to each other in the show, essentially. Uh, I don't know if Viserys was talking to Damon in Valerian. I don't know if we... I can't remember that far back. But I can remember, obviously, the many conversations between Rhaenyra and Damon in high Valerian. So they respect the culture. And they respect where they, where it comes from. So it makes sense to take each other in the tradition of old Valeria. And I thought it was really beautiful. But we cut to a beach. And maybe this is Driftmark. Still not sure. I'm still not sure. It, it could be just like a little island just offshore. There, there are a bunch of like islands in around that area. Not sure, but not sure. Uh, but uh, we have a figure running towards the boat. Uh, one guy's already in the boat. Again, up to this point, I was still sold Lanor was dead. So I thought it was, I, I was questioning it, but I still I still was kind of sold just knowing what goes down in the books. So I thought it was another dude Damon hired to travel with Carl to kill him to tie up loose ends. But it's our boy Lanor. And I haven't cheered like that since Jon Snow took that breath at the end of the episode where Melisandre revived him. But I thought they should have played the credits with the waves crashing instead of going straight to the music. But 
that's just nitpicking. Remember how at Hard Home, Hard Home ends and it's just you just hear the water in the bay just like bubbling and just flowing. I thought that would have been pretty sweet. But that's the episode, ladies and gents. Laner lives. He's off living his best gay life over in Essos with Carl. But I'm not sure how they intend to play this. Like, honestly, I I, I don't think you let Lainor live and not bring him back. So I'm guessing they bring him back mid-dance on Sea Smoke in some heroic fashion to win a battle for the Blacks. Because I don't know what you do with Sea Smoke at this point. Because Sea Smoke is still bound to Lainor because Lainor is alive. And no matter where Lainor goes, Sea Smoke will find him. So it's not, it's going to be hard for him to find. Uh, I'm sorry, it's going to be hard for Lainor to, to hide. No matter where you go, no matter if you cut your hair, the connection is still formed with the dragon. And the dragon can feel where you are. So there's a gap there in the war now. But I'll be interested, interested to see how they fill it. And I don't think Ryan Condal is the type of dude to break canon without a plan like David and Dan were. I think they I think maybe they combine Lanor's plot with a character in the books named Adam Hull, but I don't know, that might be too much. Kind of like how they combined Jorah's plot with John Connington's in the the Game of Thrones show. But yeah, who knows? Who knows? But the the whole Lanor fake out reminded me of Catelyn Stark, how she died not knowing Brandon Rickon were alive. If you remember, Theon took the Miller boys and burned their bodies and passed them off as Brandon Rickon. And Catelyn never knew the boys were alive. And she died knowing the boys were, or, or she died thinking the boys were dead. But they could give Lanor a, a death off screen. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, the next episode is our final time jump. And then the dance really begins. I think in the final two episodes, uh, you know, we know Thrones likes to do crazy shit in their penultimate episodes. So look to episode nine for some crazy shit to go down. Uh, but I think we leave episode 10 off on a cliffhanger that sets up season two. Uh, but yeah. Oh, one, one more thing that I thought about. So I think I think Corlys and Rainey's would have had to know the plan because we see Reyna and Bayella on Dragonstone with next standing next to Jason Luke in the Maester watching Rhaenyra and Damon get married and there's absolutely no fucking way that Corlys and Rhaenys let their grandchildren go off with two people that allegedly murdered their son that doesn't make any sense so that that puts a pin in it right there the fact that the girls are there at the wedding puts a pin in it Corlys and Rhaenys were in on it they knew but I'll be back next week with House of the Dragon episode eight. Hey, if you made it this far, you know what to do. Drop a five-star rating on Spotify. Drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Let people know why they should listen to ABP. And as always, follow Cousin Vizzy on Instagram at Visualize Cinema. Yes, Chef. Heard Chef. Thank you, Chef. Peace be with you. And also with you.